Week 9, no, I think it might be week 10 actually. Don't know. It's the final week anyway. You can tell me, I think my slides are numbered wrong. And uh, all those perfectionists among us can queue up to tell me that the number was wrong. And I'll go, yeah, I know. That reminds me about a story that Max Boyce said, but we've got no time for that. You can ask me afterwards. Ah, Who's Max Boyce? This Wales' answer to Michael McIntyre. Uh, It's all online. I think we're having trouble with the CDs. Is that still true, Steve? The last couple of weeks. If you're a CD person, it might be a bit tricky. Um, So find a teenager and ask them to help you get it off the internet. Uh, Because it's it's all there. If you can't find a teenager, ask a child. They'll be able to do it as well. (laughs) You know, if they can crawl, they'll be up for it for you. Okay, we're in chapter 10 today. I'd love a glass of water if someone could help me with that. That would be ace. And uh, we reminded ourselves last week that chapters 1 to 6 of Daniel tell the story of his life. And he went in the lion's den towards the end of his life, 70-odd years of age. And then chapters 7 through to 12 are revelations, moments that God has revealed some truth to him and spoken to him in in different and often particular picturesque, apocalyptic uh, ways. And as we were hearing some moments ago, you might say, how come Daniel gets to hear God speak like that? I wish I could hear God speak in the way those uh, people talked about just a few moments ago. I'm not sure I've ever heard God speak. The, the fundamental secret of hearing God speak is to be like Daniel in his word and in prayer every single day. There are no shortcuts. Matt's absolutely right about that. The rhythm of Daniel's life, as we've seen over these weeks, he was in prayer, he was in the scriptures, and in those moments, God gives birth to stuff that comes, thank you, Si, that comes to fruition in our lives. So we're picking up chapter 10, which is one of those uh, revelations, one of those pictures, and we're going to draw out some themes and uh, things that it says to us even today. Because there in chapter 10, we're reminded about the power behind the powers. It's a complex passage and uh, we could take a whole sermon series to unpick it together, but we're going to draw out some, some key themes. What the p- chapter 10 does is to, to bring the, the focus back a little bit further. Can you remember how last week the lens was brought back to look at the whole of history? And we talked about how history rages, and yet because God reigns, history is moving inextricably towards that point, that moment of God's salvation, God's rescue. Well, today the lens gets drawn back even further, so we get an even bigger perspective of history, and if you like, a bigger perspective of the whole universe and its Story. And as the veil gets pulled back, we see that there are powers behind the powers. There are powers behind the powers. And what we see is that the real fight, the real struggle, the real raging is the spiritual, not the earthly battle. History rages, as we reminded ourselves last week. Because the whole spiritual realm rages. History rages because there is a battle, a a war going on in the heavens. In verse 13, it talks about the prince 
of the Persian kingdom, the spiritual power, the demonic force, if you like, behind the uh, kingdom of of Persia, the Persian kingdom, uh, is named there. As a reminder to us that behind the physical that we see is a spiritual world that we do not see that is in some senses more real than the very physical things that we can touch. Behind the physical, there is a spiritual reality. And the real war, the real battle, is not what we see on earth being played out with human beings in the physical space, but it is an expression of something even greater that's going on behind the scenes. ISIS, Syria, US, Russia, UK, anyone else, that's not the real fight. And you can bring that right down to a macroscopic and then a microscopic level in the, whatever makes our nation wage war with itself ultimately is not just about a human fight. When you're waging war in your home or in your marriage or with your friendships or in your workplace, ultimately that is not a physical fight. And so the lens gets drawn right back and we're invited to see that behind the physical reality is a spiritual world that we ignore at our peril. We see this clearly in the Christmas story. The Christmas story is a very earthly story in some senses. Jesus was born in a physical way from a physical mother in a physical place in Palestine 2,000 years ago. And as the story unfolds, we know that there was a physical king, Herod, who was not too pleased about Jesus being born. And was not impressed with the wise men's message that this baby who had been born was likely to be a king above all kings. And so Herod sets about putting an end to this baby's kingdom. And he sends his troops to Bethlehem and they slaughter all the babies or male babies two years and under. But Jesus threw a, threw a what from Joseph? Through a prophetic dream that saved Jesus' life, prophetic dream that God gave to Joseph, Joseph takes Mary and Jesus down through the desert into Egypt. That's what physically happened. That's the story. But if you turn to Revelation, and maybe I invite you to do that now if you've got a Bible in your hands, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12, big number 12, small number 4, or perhaps small number 1, we can start reading, start reading there. Here we get an insight into what's happening spiritually around those physical events. So the lens gets pulled back again on the Christmas story to see the same story from a spiritual perspective. A great sign appeared in heaven, verse 1 of chapter 12 of Revelation. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. Now this language works in all kinds of different ways. Refers to Mary, refers to Israel, but let's not get um, uh, too distracted with that for our purposes today. So a woman clothed with the sun, if there was music playing in the background, it would be light kind of music. Everyone's happy and chilled. This is a good thing. We are pleased. We are glad. This woman is here. She's pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Well, there's no surprises there, except to the odd uh, uh, man. Um, that, then verse 3, then another sign appeared and the music suddenly changes from uh, da, 
to something different. What sort of music would you have now? Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon. Jane, you've missed your calling. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth, a reference to uh, uh, the satanic fall and the angels that fell with Satan. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. So we're getting a spiritual insight to a physical reality. Um, the, sorry, I've lost my place. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. But, you might say, she gave birth to a son, big cheer, a male child, greater cheer, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Who's that talking about? Oh, <laughs> joining up the dots here really quickly. And, and, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Reference perhaps to the cross, resurrection, and ascension. But look at the physical reality. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God. They went down into Egypt. How do you get to Egypt? Through the desert. Okay? So, there's a fight in the spiritual realm, not surprisingly, when Jesus was about to be born. Satan did not think this whole Christmas story, that's a jolly good idea, you know. So he threw everything he had at this child. The fight is in the spiritual realm. And the enemy continued to throw everything he had at this child right through to his ascension. And there on the cross, it looked like the enemy had won. It looked like it was all over. The, the, the enemy was almost washing his hands in glee for a job well done. How? Those who think they are mighty will fall. That's why John writes, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. Ultimately, Jesus came to deal with the raging spiritual war of which we play that out in the physical realm. So if that's the real fight, if that's where the battle really is, then that's the fight that you and I, as Christian people living in today's world, are also engaged in, don't you think? For our struggle, Paul writes, as he kind of brings these threads together, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The ultimate fight is not a physical one, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. We're in the heavenly realm where the real fight takes place. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Well, what kind of strength? It's a spiritual strength for a spiritual battle. God's not raising up a physical army. I can understand when you look at me tall, broad-shouldered, and physically mighty, you can think that God's raising up a physical army. But you'd be deceived, you know, because he isn't. It's not about whether physically we can get our way. 
It's not about whether physically we can push people about and trample on people and cajole and force and manipulate people to believe or think the same things that, that we think. It's not about being strong in an earthly fight. But it is about being very strong in the spiritual one. It's not about the physical fight. And we get so caught up in the physical fight. The enemy keeps us so busy in the physical fight that he doesn't really have to do very much at all. Daniel gets this, of course. And the whole chapter in chapter 10 begins with him praying, really praying. Because if the real fight is the spiritual battle, then the real prayer is the way that we fight it. If the real fight is the spiritual battle, then the real prayer is the way that we fight it. Verse 2, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine, touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. That's where the three-week Daniel fast, in part, comes from. No food, choice food. Yet there is food, just not what you'd naturally choose. No meat or wine, touched my lips, and I used no lotions which is an extension of the Daniel fast we've been used to, which we can introduce in the new year, uh, until the three weeks were over. So um, just as an aside, you will know that in January, we are planning as a community to do a three-week Daniel fast. Don't get alarmed by three weeks. Do a few days, do a week, see how you get on, do a few days more, 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 until you've done three weeks. But don't tell yourself you're going to do three weeks when you start. Just start where you go and do a little bit, and then just do a little bit more. I'm going to encourage one another on, and we'll make it through together. And you can find out all about that on the website, forward slash Daniel Fast. Sign up, get yourselves involved, get yourself connected, get the emails, get the Facebook updates, find it on Twitter. Do all of that stuff, because together, we're engaging in the real fight, by making a stand and saying the way that we fight ultimately a spiritual battle is with spiritual weapons. But notice what's happening in Daniel chapter 10 verse 2. Daniel is praying and he prayed for how long? Three weeks. And some of us are thinking, well, we did that Daniel fast thing for a week and that was a massive investment. I don't know whether I can make the three-week investment. It seems a colossal thing to be asked. And maybe it is. But what encouraged Daniel through those three weeks? Do you know what encouraged him? Absolutely nothing. He prayed for three weeks and nothing happened. I want you to imagine for a moment, you've been on your Daniel fast for 14 days and nothing has happened. God doesn't seem to have answered your prayer, spoken to you, said anything, done anything whatsoever. It's a reminder here in these verses that real prayer is not always obvious. Because you would think at that stage, this is a total waste of time. God doesn't like me. He's not answering my prayer. Prayer is useless. I've been doing it for ten whole days and nothing's happened. What's the point? Now, I know that I'm not the only person to have felt like that. But then verse 12. 
he gets an explanation. He gets something of an understanding of what was going on while he was praying for three whole weeks when absolutely nothing happened. Hands up who suddenly can feel some of Daniel's pain. Man, we've been there. The rest of you are lying. Feel Daniel's prayer. Verse 12. Then he continued, that's the man who touched him, the angelic being, or let's not get sidetracked on all of that. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words, prayers, were heard. And I have come in response, since the first day. Some of you need to really hear that this morning. Since the first day, the first moment, before it even came out of your mouth, that very first time, your Father in heaven has heard. And yet, what it's so easy for us to begin as we listen to the enemy's lies, nothing happened. God doesn't love me like he loves those people who answer when he answers their prayers. He's not interested in my prayers. It's not fair. And you don't do that because you're good Christian people, so you do it on the inside. Because you know it doesn't sound right to speak it out. But we feel it, don't we? Feel. Oh. And sometimes that pain is so severe, we give up on prayer. Now, I could ask you to raise your hands, but given the dishonesty already floating around the room, it's very unlikely that you'll raise your hand to say you've given up on prayer. But some of us have, right now, today. We might still pray, but really we've given up on it. We don't really believe it's going to make it. Since the first day, where have you lost belief that God is at work? Where have you lost belief that God is at work? Let verse 12 remind you. You have no idea what's going on. No idea. No, I, that, Daniel had no idea that angelic beings were already responding to his prayer under the authority of Father God. Sometimes we have no idea what's going on. And we're not called to know what's going on. But we are called to pray. God heard on day one. Step back for a moment. So prayer is spiritually focused. Because it's a spiritual battle. If that's the case, then real prayer has a spiritual target. Has a spiritual target. Take praying for someone to become a Christian. From an earthly perspective, there are probably folks that you long to come to Christ, but they are just not interested. In fact, they can be rude about the Christian faith. They can be apathetic. In fact, nothing that you say grabs them. The God of the universe loves you. Whatever. You can have your sins forgiven, a new start. I don't want a new start, I just want new boots. You can be absolutely sure that when you die you'll go to heaven. I don't want to go to heaven, I want to go to Disneyland. 
And it doesn't matter what you say, there's no connection. You know, you'll know people like that, for whom there seems to be no connection with the faith that you believe that seems so clear, so obvious, so why on earth don't they believe, and they just don't get it. Anyone met somebody like that? <laughs> oh, we're warming up this morning, aren't we? Oh, we have found a, found a little niche in the market. What does Paul say as he pulls back the lens to help us see the spiritual reality that's behind the physical? He says there's a spiritual reality. The gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. All the Bible's true, but that verse is true, isn't it? Real prayer has a spiritual target because it's a spiritual issue. And it's really important that we understand this stuff because otherwise I'm left with the if only. If only I was better at sharing my faith, then they'd get it. If only church wasn't so dull, then they'd get it. If only they hadn't gone to Sunday school and inoculated them because it was so naff, they'd get it. If only, if only, if only that Christian down the road, that Christian in their family wasn't such a, such a not very nice person, then they'd get it. If only, if only at the carol service Simon can preach a good message, then they'll get it. Hmm. Will they? Either we've had 20 really naff carol service sermons or something else is going on. That's a difficult one for you to choose, isn't it, right now? Because I'm in the room. You know, you can make up your own minds about that. So you can pray. I really hope this coming week that Simon prepares and packs in a really good punch next Sunday night. All the best with that. Or, is there something else going on that we really ought to pray? You can pray for a powerful sermon, or you can pray against the blindness. The real fight... The real struggle is a spiritual issue. And we need a spiritual weapon. Because manifestly, we've all been in places when someone's preached a really good punch and we can't understand why people just walk out untouched. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Why why didn't they? It's so obvious. When they get it, when they see it, just want to strangle them. Because something's going on. In the spiritual world, that is given a physical expression. The real fight, the real struggle, needs a spiritual weapon. And Paul writes in another part of his letter to the Corinthians, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war, same point again, as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's prayer. Set your alarm this week, 7 a.m. 
12 p.m., 12 noon, 7 p.m., to pray for the person that might be in church next Sunday who the Bible tells us is spiritually blind. That might be way, way, way more effective than crossing your fingers and hoping I'll say something rare and useful next Sunday night. So what is the spiritual target for your prayers? You can see how in a, in a praying for non-Christians, how that might work out. Lord, we're longing for the blindness to be lifted. And, and the blindness is caused for different people in different ways. For some people, it's a pride issue. For other people, it's a giving up something issue. For other people, it's a, a belief that if you, if you turn to just certain things, it'll happen. There's all kinds of, of ways or, or flavors to the blindness. But as you pray for someone, the Spirit might help you see and understand so that you can pray with the weapon of prayer to demolish strongholds. Step back a little bit further, Joe, and just think about the general prayers that you've been praying. Are your prayers all about a physical change? Or are you praying into the spiritual reality that's behind the physical? And what would it look like to alter the emphasis of your prayers to be more about the real fight than what's actually going on on earth being played out before us. We've seen then the real fight and the real prayer. And as we come to the end of this whole series, we're reminded in Daniel chapter 10 of the real call. Of the real call. I love what it says about Daniel in verse 19. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. Some uh, translations have you who are beloved. Beloved. Be strong now. Be strong. Highly esteemed. What, what was it that God saw in Daniel that would say he was highly esteemed? Well, there might be lots of things. But one of the overriding themes of the whole of this book is that Daniel determined to live out his faith right in the midst of the people God was seeking to rescue and to save. You see, the real call on Daniel's life and on our lives is to live the incarnation. Big religious word that means God didn't stay up in heaven, but he came right into the middle of our world. And he invites us through the book of Daniel, and no more invites us through the whole Christmas journey. But we don't stay closeted away, either in our homes or in our churches, in the same way that Daniel didn't stay closeted away in that, remember we had that little map and, 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 and out of sight, out of mind and a little Judean group down by the river. No, the call on Daniel's life was to live out his faith right in the middle of those God is seeking to rescue and to redeem. And so we read of Jesus, that Jesus himself, the word became flesh and lived right among us. He tabernacled. He set up his tent right in the middle of ours. Now, you will know if you are a camper, you have to be very careful where you put your tent. Because unlike houses, 
There is no noise restriction or nuisance protection from a bit of canvas. And so imagine a a group of tent dwellings. God gets that involved by setting up his tent right in the middle of ours. And Daniel couldn't have set up camp any closer to the people he was trying to reach. Daniel couldn't have set up camp and lived his life any nearer than those that were on God's heart and had been placed on Daniel's heart. And I love that phrase that some of the translators use for Daniel chapter 10, verse 19, of beloved. For God so loved the world that he sent his beloved, his one and only son, Daniel, highly esteemed and beloved, out of that knowledge that we are beloved by God. Out of that knowledge that nothing in all of creation, not even the height and depth of creation, all the powers can ever separate us from that love, we with heads held high and a boldness in our hearts and with spiritual weapons in our, excuse me, in our lives can today and tomorrow walk among lions. And that's the call on our lives. So God be our help and our guide. Let's pray. Father, just bathe us in that love and assurance, in that confidence with you in these moments. Wash over us as we've been re-energized to pray today. As perhaps by the Spirit you've gently given us new focus and new direction. You've picked us up and dusted us down. Lord, we're sorry when we've given up on prayer. We're sorry when we've uh, listened to the lie that it's a total waste of time. We're sorry that when we've decided that you don't love us as much as somebody else because you're not answering the prayers of our hearts. And so we come back to you to be bathed afresh in your love, in your grace, and in that place of absolute confidence that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. We go out to walk, to live, to serve, to get involved in the world. Knowing that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against your kingdom purpose. For the battle in the heavens has already been won. And so we look to see kingdom signs breaking out all over the earth. Thank you, Lord.